0: Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange podcast. This week, I have another Chicago local, and it always makes me so excited when I get to virtually meet people who are near me and doing amazing work in the city that I live in. And so this week, I have Kamisha Jones, and we're going to be talking about increasing your practice's social impact, and she's got such a wealth of knowledge. I've been following her business for a few years now, and they're just doing amazing work, not only in Chicago, but nationally um, because of their visibility. And so I'm excited to have you on. And I really am appreciative of you taking that time to come on and chat about social impact and how to increase that within your business.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And it's like you said, it's always great to connect with a Chicago local.
0: Yeah. So those who might not know you in my audience, can you give us a little snippet of who you are and what you do?
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Kamisha Jones, and I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and I started my business in 2017. I can't believe this year marked six years. I'm like, oh, my gosh, where does the time go? Yeah. Uh, but I started my business in 2017, at the Afia Community Mental Wellness. And our focus was providing community support to Black women, who were in their young adult years, in their 20s and 30s, living with mental health conditions. And so that was the start of our business. So our business kind of had a social impact focus from the beginning. And we found that in our business, there were women who were really interested in mental health care, but cost was a barrier. So we started offering some of our services at a lower cost. But we found out that even though we were doing that in a lot of practices, not weren't necessarily adding like a social impact focus to their business, that there was still so much more that was needed that even though we were offering the lower cost, there were still people who couldn't even afford that. And so in thinking about responding to our community's need, I was like, okay, I went to school for social work. I have a business mentor. I think we can take this a step further and add a nonprofit. So in 2020, we added Sista Afia Community Care, and with that nonprofit, all of our services are free, and we provide culturally and gender-responsive care. And since 2020, even though we've only been two years old, we've already served over 500 women in Chicago. So we've definitely grown a little quick as a nonprofit, but I think it's just been beneficial to expand our focus and our mission to really be inclusive of all people who are seeking support with their mental health.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's one of the a conversation that my leadership team has at every one of our meetings. And it's just a part of how we communicate with any decisions we're making in our business is looking at it through an anti-oppressive lens and like where might we be missing? dropping the ball when we're thinking of adding a new service or changing a policy or procedure. But one of the things that we've been talking about recently is like how we can be sustainable when making decisions around either having therapists be able to because we salary everyone. So impact is only on the business versus like practices that are commissioned or hourly where like the impact might of seeing no Clients for no cost or low cost would impact maybe both the therapist in practice. For us, it it would just impact the practice of looking at like how can we serve more people in the community that can't afford therapy services or can't you know get to an office. You know all of these things without compromising sustainability and the ability to like pay bills and pay payroll. And it's an ongoing conversation we have, um, especially as a practice that. Pays on the higher end to clinicians. We have a much lower, we have a very small profit margin. And so it provides us with very little movement to be able to make um, on those ends. Um, but one of the things that has been talked a lot about is like how does a nonprofit potentially be able to support business A, the group practice, in being sustainable? While still being being able to offer uh, free services and be able to pay the people who are offering those free services, so I'd love to get your sort of thoughts on what was the process like of creating the nonprofit arm. But then how do you think that impact has been on you or your business by being able to offer those free services through the nonprofit versus maybe having done it through your actual group practice
1: so the Nonprofit, it's a process. Like if you're going to add a nonprofit arm, it's definitely a process. I would say it took us maybe about six months to a year to officially get things off the ground. And with a nonprofit, there are some things that it operates similar to a for profit, but then there are things that are totally different, like having a board of directors having a staff infrastructure reporting to your funders and your donors about how you're using the money and then building relationships with donors which is something that is a continuous process.
0: Wow, so you didn't even think about that that aspect of it. So that's definitely a big difference between a for-profit business where you can make decisions without needing to report to anyone versus relationship building with funders? Is that a hard process? I feel like, I guess I'm asking it because I'm introverted. Marketing has never been my strong suit. The idea of needing to nurture relationships with people that are bringing in money, or is this just a me thing? But how do you reconcile the feeling maybe of like, I'm nurturing this relationship because you're giving me us money versus like I'm nurturing a relationship because I like you and I care about you. Is that a hard, or is that just part of nonprofit
1: business ownership. Um I would say it's just a part of nonprofit business ownership. There are definitely some funders that we have that like I have a really strong relationship with like I just like them as people. <laughs> they like us, you know, like myself and my team. And then there are some that you always just have to maintain a relationship with and it helps in the future. So one thing that we do is we do a mid-year and an end of year impact report. So whenever that report comes out, I'm emailing donors saying, Hey, this is the impact of what you've given to us and being transparent also on social media and in our email marketing, like this is what we've been able to accomplish because of you and your yeah. support. So it's definitely a different hat to wear for yeah. sure. I'm still learning so much <laughs> in terms of like how to not just run a nonprofit, but also how to communicate what you're doing to people who want to give and want to support you.
0: Yeah. And it seems like it's just a very different way of communicating than it would be in your own group practice, right? And so it definitely is probably such an intentional hat that you have to take on and off to remember to be extra transparent in the uh, nonprofit arm. That might not come naturally, right? Like impact reports and things like that might not come as naturally in your group practice. So that's really interesting and probably something that a lot of people who don't have a nonprofit aren't even thinking about. So you decided to build this nonprofit arm specifically because you wanted to be able to support Black women in the Chicago area community who couldn't afford reduced rates, right? To be able to offer free services.
1: Is that all? The Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And what has that That specific part of the process, not just the building of the nonprofit, but just the once it was built, I guess my question is so big. So answer it as largely or as small as you want to. What has the process been like once the nonprofit was built of like getting visible in the right spaces so that the right people were able to find you? But then also, because I know a couple of people who have a nonprofit arm that doesn't really generate any income. Where it generates just enough to maybe give one person like 10 sessions a year, just because they're probably not doing the marketing relationship building piece, maybe in a way that would allow more income to come in for them to be able to offer more free services. I guess I'm asking how hard is that part of that process for those that are Mm -hmm. thinking, hey, I want to be able to offer or have a bigger social impact, be able to offer free services, and have maybe been thinking about nonprofit. I just anticipate. So I just did a podcast episode right before you on someone who wrote a book, and she was talking about how everyone who who writes a book once they're done realizes what they thought the process was like. It's like ten times harder. Like you think it's going to be kind of hard, but like I know the information, so not super hard. And then once they go through it, they're like, "Holy crap! It was a lot of extra steps beyond just the idea of writing a book." And I feel like that probably is very similar to the nonprofit world of like you think the hardest part is just getting the nonprofit like acceptance, but in listening to you, I'm into I'm seeing like that there's probably the harder part is the building of that arm then after, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll um talk about two things. So okay. I'll talk about like the building piece of the nonprofit. And then I'll also talk about other models that can also work if people don't want to fully go into the nonprofit space. So building for us. Our nonprofit took off fast because people, we had a lot of visibility in the community and people around the country had heard about our work because we're so niche focused, mm-hmm. serving, you know, Black women in their young adult years, focusing on affordability, accessibility um, so with that, our case was a little unique because we were already known and we were able to attract people from the foundation that we built with um, the for-profits, the Saafi Community Mental Wellness. However, with adding a nonprofit arm, there are a couple of different ways that you can do it. There are some people that may create a nonprofit and then they may add Medicaid services to that to be able to say, OK, we're generating you know, revenue, but we're also serving the underserved or people who have barriers to care or having, you know, low cost sliding scale services. So that's like one route that sometimes people go if they're like, okay, we're doing this nonprofit, but how are we going to actually drive revenue? another part of it is really getting to know the foundations in your area so for us one of the things that I did was prospect research i was like okay who's funding organizations that are similar to us and how can i get in front of those people? right so that was another part of it which it definitely takes a lot of work for sure mm-hmm. and just like starting you know a business you have to build it from the ground up so there's a lot of grunt work you know in the beginning But once you get past that part, you kind of start to get a stride. Some other models that people can do if if they're like, okay, hey, we want to serve the community who has access barriers, but we don't want to go fully into a nonprofit. So there are some group practices that I've seen where they may take a part of their profits from a month and then dedicate that or donate to a nonprofit. So you have people on your team that are actually like, okay, we want to give back to our community. And so we're going to maybe put in these extra hours to see maybe a couple of clients so we can raise this money from our profits and then give it to a nonprofit that's doing work. And then other people, which I'm sure you're familiar with and you've talked about pre-licensed or interns serving people who need lower costs or free services and also Medicaid. I've also seen some group practice have another add on to their business, but they just do straight Medicaid or free services. And so it's two separate businesses, but one is more focused on social impact, where the other one is still kind of more that traditional private practice model. So there are definitely different ways that you can do it if you don't want to go full into the nonprofit, like the nonprofit piece takes a lot of work. We were fortunate because we got free consulting services for a year. And so we had nonprofit consultants write grants, help to get our website, our communications. And so that made a huge difference. But for some people who are starting out, they're like, how can I access those different things to help grow the nonprofit?
0: That's really good feedback, especially I know that's something that I mean, I have a lot of conversations with, with other group practice owners who are at this space where they've scaled and they're sustainable and they're now, you know, they're in a space of financially where they're in a, like a safe zone. So they are thinking like back to their uh, value system of like, are we doing everything that is in alignment with our value system? And a lot of times the conversation comes back to social impact and how, how they can create. Environments and spaces that that their their group practice at that moment might not be like allowing those people to be able to access those services and like what other things can be done. So I I appreciate some of the options that you were bringing up around either Medicare, Medicaid usage, or using interns, or opening a nonprofit arm, or donating a percentage of um, your own practice's profits to other nonprofits who are doing the work already that is in alignment with your the value systems of your business. So one of the things that my practice was doing, and I was just thinking as before I was coming on with you, like what have we been focusing on this quarter? Because social impact is such a big piece of our, our practice. And every quarter we're looking at, uh, we try things and we look at, is it actually creating the impact that we thought it would are we doing the right type of work for that thing to actually have the impact that it needs to have, right? Because in theories, having interns could be a great way to um, support clients who might not be able to afford full fee or have insurance, you know, co-pays and deductibles. But once you implement it, you might realize that it's actually still creating barriers um, similar to what you mentioned, where there's going to be people that if you have interns or provisional folks You might still be charging a much lower fee, but there's still going to be people that might not be able to access that anyways. And so I guess my question for you around that is what thought processes do you think are important for business owners, practice owners to have if social impact and anti-racism and anti-oppression, if those are really core values in their business, what are maybe some of the things that might be like off the side sort of thoughts that aren't easy to be in the forefront of the brain um, until you're like in it and doing it? I don't know if that's a clear enough question, but
1: yeah, I understand what you're saying. (laughs) So the reality is, is that the mental health infrastructure, the field, there's going to be more people who need services than therapists, right? So we're already as an industry, we're already kind of like, we're not fully able to meet the demand. Also, knowing that like you don't have to save everybody, what you're doing to make some type of contribution is worthy, right? It's important sometimes. And I've felt this as well, like, oh, we have to do for everybody. But in the reality, we don't have the capacity to do that. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes people can feel guilty, like, oh, I can or maybe should be doing more. However, like if Say, for example, like with your practice, if, you know, you all offered sliding scale therapy to 15 people a year to other people, they may be like, oh, that's not a lot of people. But for you all, the impact of those services for the client is the most important thing, Mm -hmm. like even beyond what you do as a business. How did the person benefit from having that? So I always tell people that you don't necessarily have to go super big. Sometimes we think about that. It's being consistent with what you do offer and seeing that our community and the client are benefiting from what you provide because it takes all of us and everybody can't open a nonprofit and be in a for-profit or, and that's okay, right? So I always tell people that, you know, what you do, even if it's a one-time thing or consistent thing is valuable and it's enough.
0: You actually said something that I've been thinking a lot about uh, on the personal side, which is like big versus small in terms of impact. And I've been thinking a lot about how my own group practice is really, really large. And it feels like it's its own thing, right? You know, when you start a business, it feels like your baby and you're so, so much a part of it. Um, but the larger a practice gets or a business gets, the more, you know, leadership teams and other people are main decision makers. And if, um I... I've been thinking about how my own group practice is so large and it has a large impact in in a lot of ways, but I'm finding myself being drawn more and more back to wanting to have like micro impacts. I don't know if that's even a word, but like (laughs) getting more micro, like getting more small, Uh, not the practice, but like my vision or like my impact in the world maybe is like The practice is big and it it has like impact on like the scalable space, but I'm finding myself like kind of what you mentioned is like, I think, I don't know if you said micro, micro is what I'm thinking, but like getting small, like the impact can be on individual people. And oftentimes like being able to see the impact of individual people in your, in your practice or in a nonprofit can feel sometimes even more impactful than this huge thing where you don't even get to see who's being impacted anymore because it's just this huge blowing business that like there's no way for you to even see all the impact that it's having. I don't know. You you said that oh, something along those lines. And I remember thinking this year since January, I've been thinking, like, how can I personally get back to a micro space of like really having like more rooted social impact that's smaller, but big is big, but it's big in the mm-hmm. heart, it's big in like the action, but like easier to see. Like you're, you're really more a part of it versus like a grand thing. I don't, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. Yeah. Cause a lot of times, I mean, when we have a business mindset, we're thinking like go big or go home, right? Like we're thinking everything has to be huge. Mm -hmm. Or when we think about everyday people, like in our communities, like, like think about the volunteers who are at a hospital or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Like they're they're not seen as maybe a part of this big impact of serving people who are ill or having issues with their health, but their small actions of going to each hospital room, you know, giving people their meals, like all those things make a difference. But sometimes as group practice ones, we're thinking we have to scale really everything exactly. has to be big, but it doesn't have to, and it can still be impact.
0: Yeah. And I think that's an important maybe concept. That you're bringing up for those that are kind of spinning their wheels in a constant state of thinking about without actually doing when it comes to social impact, because they feel like the things that they're thinking about in terms of engaging in social impact feel too small um, or like not worth it. I'm kind of air quoting it like it's not going to create enough impact. So maybe this idea is stupid and I should think of something bigger impact wise. Is that starting small, something that might feel like a small impact? on your end like offering one free service on your own caseload right that that is a huge impact to that one person right and it's still a step and it maybe also makes it easier for you to think that even a little bit further out in terms of social impact too right and once you step into it and see how you know how it feels business wise and how it feels impact on you know business and revenue and all that stuff that then it maybe makes it easier to see like how can i take that step a step further
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So I know we're getting towards the end here, but like what's one piece of feedback that you would want to give business owners, practice owners, group owners who are really valuing the social impact of their business, but maybe are feeling like they don't have the creativity to figure out what, what to do, or maybe they're feeling scared of just taking the step. What piece of feedback or advice or thought mm-hmm. do you have for them?
1: I would say to group practice owners who are maybe struggling with what to do in terms of social impact. uh, One, listening to your client community, you know, in terms of, you know, what they're saying that they need or even your admin staff, like what are some of the barriers that people have to accessing mental health services? And then thinking of maybe even a pilot, like maybe you could try doing some of the things we mentioned, like Every person has one person on their caseload where they're offering free services or hiring some interns and just seeing how it works. And that could be like almost like a pilot just to see, OK, is this something that we can do? Is this something that we can maintain? And then also knowing that the challenges that we have in the mental health field are really big. But all of us as therapists, um, as group practice owners, we are making the world and people's lives better because they're getting the care that they need. And so never losing focus of that is just really, really important. And also looking to other people who are doing maybe something similar that you're interested in, scheduling a phone call, going to their website, starting an email conversation can also help you to feel like what you want to do is possible. Because sometimes we may feel like, oh, this is impossible. I won't be able to do this. And connecting with other people who are also doing similar work. And I've connected with a couple of organizations that are want to do a similar model to what we have. And it's just great to build that community. I love this.
0: For those that aren't following you, can you share where people, practice owners, can see what you're doing and be able to contribute in any sort of way to your nonprofit and also your practice?
1: Yes. So um, our nonprofit website is www.communitycare.sissaafia.com. And that's spelled S-I-S-T-A-F-Y-A.com. You can see all of the work that we're doing um, in Chicago. And then you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sister Afia, S-I-S-T-A-A-F-Y-A. I always spell it because people have a hard time finding it. And then our group practice website is www.sistaafia.com.
0: I appreciate you coming on and, and thank you so much for sharing your wisdom around social impact and, and ways to get our, our brains thinking about how to have that in the forefront of our minds. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support? Join the exchange, a membership community just for group practice owners with monthly office hours, live webinars, and a library of trainings ready for you to dive into. Visit www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you next week.